We can let the uh, children be dismissed. And uh, we can turn in our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. I promised myself before we start singing each week that I'm going to take it really low-keyed and not like get engaged when it's warm so that I don't get hot. And uh, I'm actually grateful that I fail every time. Uh, just I can't resist the uh, opportunity that we have every week to sing praises to God and to exalt and glorify His name. On April 1st in 1976... <clears throat> Just 34 years ago, two years before I graduated from high school, Ron Wayne signed a legal document along with two other men to establish a technological company in Silicon Valley, California. His compensation for his role as a consultant was a 10% stake in the company. Because of an unsuccessful business venture in his previous experiences years before that left him with thousands of dollars of debt, He was a little reluctant to stay with the startup company and its two young leaders who were 20 years younger than he. Eleven days after signing the company charter, he resigned his position and sold his stock in the company for $800. The names of his business partners are these. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. The company... Apple computer. Ron Wayne's $800 of Apple stock today would be worth $22 billion. $800 cashed in in 1976. He did the, I'll take my money and run. He took the safe approach. I tell you that story because we're in the midst of a discussion from the Word of God about our relationship to material possessions. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you. Now here's the question I want to ask you in light of the story and in light of that text. What is your response to Mr. Wayne's circumstance? What is your response? I mean, seriously. In your heart when you hear that this man had $800 of stock in Apple computer in 1976 that today is worth $22 billion and he sold it for $800. I know what some of you are thinking. If I was his wife, okay, he'd be in big trouble. What does it make you really think? You feel sorry for him? Be honest. Are you thinking, if I had that opportunity, I wouldn't have been that stupid? Would you like to have what he missed? We have a fundamental tendency to overvalue material, temporary possessions. We fundamentally fail to grasp 
how truly temporary they are. And so, when I read this account two weeks ago, in my heart I was thinking, I wish I was smart enough to hang on to those kinds of investments. That I had that kind of wisdom because I would like to have that kind of cash. Okay, just being honest. At some level, in my heart, there is a craving that I think is systemic throughout the church, throughout humanity, to want things that will create for us a greater degree of security in our lives. We read a story like that and are sad about the missed opportunity. I don't know that we should be. I don't know that we have any biblical justification for being sad about such a turn of fate and fortune. Our fundamental mistake is to overvalue temporary possessions and to fail to grasp how truly temporary they are. We forget the infinite and incomparable preciousness and value of knowing Christ and following Him above all things. And we sometimes tend to think that things in the temporal realm have greater value because they're tangible, they're touchable, we can see them, we can get our arms around them. They bring an instant benefit to our lives. Why is it that Jesus spent 15% of his teaching devoted to the topic of material possessions? Why did he do that? Why did he talk more about heaven and hell combined, or less about heaven and hell combined, than he did about finances? Why? I think the answer to that question is fundamental in the book of Matthew when it says this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I believe the reason that that kind of a story attracts my attention it causes me my mind to go in different sorts of directions is because i buy into the temporary value of or, or i buy into the value of temporary things <clears throat> there is a vital connection between our spiritual lives and how we see and handle our resources they are inseparable in this way and Jesus uses parables that relate to finances on numerous occasions to teach us about the kingdom of God, to teach us how to orient our lives in relationship to temporal things in light of the eternal things that are ours, yes and amen, in Christ. He is constantly tweaking our thinking through the Gospels with his teaching to reorient our focus heavenward. Why? Because if I get bound up in temporal things, I become blind to the eternal realities. And when I lose the eternal realities, my life becomes more and more difficult and sad. God wants us to find our ultimate joy in Him. I believe in Matthew 13 and verse 44, and then in verses 45 and 46, He is basically giving us two parables that help us to understand the nature of heaven and the understanding of the nature of heaven should affect our relationship with temporary things. And in order to make the illustration clear, he uses temporary things to teach. He says the kingdom of heaven is like... And let me just say this for the sake of your understanding. This idea of the kingdom of God is the glad recognition of God's rule over our heart and our life. Okay, the kingdom of God is the glad recognition of His sovereignty, of His rule over our heart and over all of our lives. It is to accept and to do the will of God. That's what it means to be in the kingdom of God. So Jesus starts by saying, the kingdom of heaven, this God-honoring, God-following, God-yielded life is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy... 
went and sold everything he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. He's looking for fine pearls. When he finds that, and by the way, pearls were valued in two ways. They were valued for their absolute stunning beauty in the ancient world. They were just something of enormous value in terms of, uh, if you will, just the visual aspect of it. They were also value as, valuable as currency. So there's the ongoing discussion in ancient literature about what was the real issue with pearls and why would Jesus use them as an illustration? Because of their stunning attractiveness and because of their amazing value. This man is a pearl hunter. He is looking for pearls in plural. But when he finds the one of great value that is set apart from all the rest, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. Now, two illustrations about two radical departures from the path of life that these individuals were on that led to radical sacrifice and to an acquisition of something that they believed would give them great joy. Okay, that's what these stories are about. The parable about the man in the field is where I'd like to focus our attention this morning. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. That is to say it's valuable. It's like treasure that's hidden in a field. And if you want to just kind of get your arms around this story, it's likely in the ancient world that this man was working a field either as a farmer, as a day worker. We don't know exactly what, but somehow he's working the field or walking through the field with his walking stick. And somehow as he's doing his work, he hears a thunk, thunk. Stick touches some kind of a box holding treasures, the proverbial treasure chest. Okay, or he's digging and all of a sudden he hears the hollowness and he's wondering, what is that? Well, what he does is he digs down and uncovers this thunk, thunk causing box. And he opens it up and he is astonished at the value of what is inside of it. As a result, he closes it up. He reburies it and then he sets out on a plan to purchase the land that contained that box. Now, the story sounds strange to us because how many of you have ever found treasure buried in a box underground? Okay? I had the experience one time when I was a kid. We used to dig for uh, old bottles in a junkyard. I might have told some of you this story. I found, laying on the surface of that junkyard, a decaying brown paper bag. All right? Well, the end result was it contained $60 worth of silver coins. Old, like mercury-type, Liberty half-dollars, all that kind of, a, a bag rotted so i dove on that because i have two brothers who are bigger than me so i dove on that and i started collecting trying to get it all stupid me i kind of screeched when i found it <laughs> okay so all this frenzy all of us trying to get this treasure something that valuable demands attention okay that's kind of the way it worked for this man he found this treasure now in the ancient world why would there be treasured buried okay most historians will argue something like this in the ancient world Banks were not a secure place to keep your resources. So either people had valuable land or they had valuable treasure. If you had valuable treasure, the best thing you could do with it is not hide it in your dwelling place. Why? Because when robbers come, it would be an easy hit in a one-room house, which was the norm. So what people would do is take their treasure and go bury it in a field. Israel was also often overrun by uh, enemy countries who would come and work their way through the land. Stealing from the people of Israel. So what people tend to do was they take their treasure and they would go out and bury it in a field. Should bring to your mind from Matthew 24 the parable of the talents. 
Remember what happened? The guy with 10 goes and invests his. The guy with five, he goes and invests his. The guy with one does what? Wraps it up in a napkin and what does he put it? In the dirt. Okay, to us, that's like, what? Okay, but that's, that was, in that culture, that was the safest place to put something. So in the story, this man is working the field or walking through the field. We're not even given those details because they're not really relevant. He finds a box. The box contains something that is so incredibly valued that it literally shifts this guy's life in a dramatic fashion. Ethical question comes to mind. All right? Is it ethical for this man to sell everything he has, not tell the owner of the field that there is a chest buried in it that's extremely valuable, buy it, and then go take the chest for himself? That's the ethical question that emerges. Why does that emerge? Because we don't look at parables properly. Okay, we tend to look at parables. We want every part of the parable to mean something substantial and significant. Okay, by and large, all parables have one major point to them. They have one point of emphasis. There's a reason Jesus is telling this story. Okay, now, we can argue from ancient documents that there were legal rights. If someone found something on a piece of property that was purchased, they had every right to keep that property for themselves because it probably didn't didn't, uh, belong to the current landowner anyhow. Okay, that's the way the argument would go. Probably someone had buried this treasure, forgot where it was, has died, or has moved on. We don't know. Not relevant to the story. What is relevant to the story? What's relevant to the story, I believe, very simply, is this. We should respond joyfully and radically and decisively when we find great treasure. Okay, we should respond joyfully radically and decisively when we find great treasure. I don't think that my response in the junkyard was out of line. When I found a bag full of silver coins, I shrieked with joy. I was a young kid, okay? My voice hadn't changed yet, all right? I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Stupid to say that, okay? Because then it was a frenzy, but bottom line was I didn't keep that to myself. I mean, I kept the money to myself, and I'll confess to you that about a year later, I bought my brother's, my brother's portion of silver at face value for greenbacks because he thought greenbacks were more valuable than silver coins. So I did get the rest of it back from him one day. No, he wanted cash. So I said, hey, I'm glad to give you cash. All that silver is still in my house somewhere. I'm not going to tell you. I almost said where it was. Okay, look, let me unfold the story for you with three basic simple points. Okay, number one, in all of our lives, in all of our lives in human existence, there is treasure that is so valuable that one should surrender everything they have in order to obtain it. Okay, that's the first principle that emerges out of this story. There, and Jesus is telling it for a spiritual purpose. Okay, there is a goal. This man found something so valuable that it reoriented his life so that he sold everything he had so that he could have it. And what Jesus is saying is this. The kingdom of heaven, surrender to the will and purpose of God for your life, is that valuable and precious. But may I say this? Most of us as Christians don't believe it. And we live lives that are characterized by weak and anemic commitment to the principles of the kingdom of God. We take the revealed standards of God's word in every area, whether it's in relationship to finances or sexuality or marriage or rearing our kids or workplace workplace ethics. We trash them. We don't value them. And what Jesus is saying is, when you live in the realm of God's work, 
doing God's work in every sphere of your life, because every sphere of your life is affected by the kingdom of God, that as you do it, you should realize that there is treasure that is so valuable that you and I should surrender everything we have in order to obtain it. Now, here's what's fascinating about the story. I think it is likely that this man is not a wealthy man. You say, Tim, why do you think that? I think that because of this. He went and sold everything he had to buy one field. He trashed every investment account in his life, every source of income, everything of value. He is so moved by the discovery that he holds a liquidation sale, a yard sale, an estate sale, whatever you want to call it. Everything must go. Okay, to the walls, all the racks, it's one of those kind of sales. Why? And everybody's probably, what in the world are you doing? And he's saying, I can't tell you. Okay. Folks, has Christ ever so deeply affected your life that the nature of your commitment to him attracted the attention of a watching world? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because when your love for Christ reorients and redirects your life, when you are saying there is a a treasure so valuable that I will put everything at risk in order to obtain it, you will catch the attention of a watching world. When we live weak lives, weakly committed to the principles of the kingdom of God, we attract only negative attention. Folks, we need to understand that our daily response to the daily call of God is our greatest tool for evangelism. And when we relate rightly to our physical resources and use them to expand the kingdom of God, to cultivate fellowship with others, brothers and sisters in Christ, and to reach the world around us, to create overlap in our lives where we intersect with the world in the realm of our material possessions, we just put them at risk and start to use them for the glory of God. We will capture the attention of the world around us, but I believe this with all my heart, not until then. Will the church live in a way that is so dramatically compelling folks, the bottom line is this story is dramatic. He found one thing, and that one thing demanded a change in everything for this man. Why did he do this? Because he wanted to make the treasure his own. He found something that he thought was better and more valuable than everything else. I remember when I started dating my wife, the reorientation in my social life. My father-in-law noticed it in his daughter. And he said, i got to meet this guy. He's changed my daughter's life. Folks, our encounter with God should be so dramatic that a watching world says, I need to know your God. I need to know what makes you tick. I need to know what this treasure is that has dramatically reoriented and reshaped your life. Second thought emerges. The discovery of true treasure will radically reorient reorganize your life. The joy that this man experiences is is a potential joy. Because I want you to notice how it says it. He, the treasure's like, or, or the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold everything he had so that he could obtain it. Okay, the joy for him is a potential joy. He saw the treasure, but it is not his yet until he does what it takes to own the field. Once he owns the field, the treasure belongs to him. 
And so this point, I think, emerges. The discovery of the treasure will bring radical reorientation and reorganization of your life. But it is a joy that is potential. He had to take certain steps in order to realize the fullness of that joy. Just like in the case of many people who have heard the true story of Christ. And have experienced, I believe Hebrews 6 talks about, some type of a warming and burning and calling in the Spirit of God, but have not yielded fully to the call of the Spirit of God in their life. They have been warmed to the truth. They have seen in their life God at work in the lives of their mate, of their friends, of their neighbors. And I believe this all my heart. I believe each Sunday there are people here who have seen the work of God, who have heard the praises of God sung in this context and see people responding gloriously and joyfully to God. And they're saying, I want that. But they're not willing to radically reorient their lives in order for that to happen. So the joy that you're looking at, the joy that you experience at a certain level, has a greater outcome in working. What you're experiencing is not all that God intends if you haven't trusted Christ. You have to take certain steps in order for that joy to become your personal joy. In this case, the man knows there is something there. And what he does is he begins to become strategic in his life about getting to that. Now, we don't know what the job is that he's working in the field. We don't know if he's walking through the field on a journey somewhere. We don't know what the story behind it is. But I do know this. When he finds that treasure, his plans changed. Folks, I remember when God finally broke my heart and caused me to realize his call to ministry and the change that needed to come in my life. I remember that day. I remember God just, just hounding me about doing the work of his kingdom in the way that he wanted me personally to do it. I remember resisting. And then I remember when the treasure appeared to be treasure. And when it appeared to be more valuable than everything else, guess what happened? I said, God, I surrender. I surrender. Folks, it's not until you apprehend and understand the preciousness of participating with God in what he's doing that that preciousness will cause you to radically realign your life to a path of obedience and selfless sacrifice like Jesus. But when that happens, you will have this amazing fullness of joy. It's what happens to the Apostle Paul, isn't it? In Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. He's on his own path. He is confronted by the infinite treasure of Christ and his life is never the same. So different is it that people that observe him acknowledge and recognize this man has been with Jesus. They could see it in him. They could see it in the reorganization and reorientation of his life. I think also of the text that Corey read for us, Matthew 19, the rich young ruler, self-righteous and self-trusting. Jesus says to him, to get to the heart of the issue, he says, if you want to be perfect, meaning you claim to have everything else in line, if you want to be completely what God wants you to be, sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. But when the man heard it, what did he do? He went away sad. Why? Because he didn't assess properly the incredible richness of Jesus compared to temporal things. He thought that his temporal things had a longer shelf life than a relationship with Jesus. When you realize that your relationship with Christ has eternal value, it is going to radically reorient and reorganize your life in a way that I believe will be absolutely fundamental. 
It will change your value of relationships. It will change your relationship with material things. It will deeply affect your heart. You say, Tim, how do you know that? I'll give you one more illustration. The illustration of Zacchaeus. What was he? He was a very wealthy head tax collector in his town. He encounters Jesus. He has a choice to make. Jesus sees him in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus comes down from the tree, runs to his house. Jesus comes and for whatever reason, God allows Zacchaeus to see the incredible treasure that is sitting before him in Jesus. And before, listen, before Jesus leaves his house, what happens? What does Zacchaeus do? He reorients himself to his material possessions because that's what always happens when people meet Christ. So in the story, here's the way it goes. He says to Jesus, if I have stolen from anyone, I will give back four times what I have taken. And I will give one half of my possessions to the poor. Now let me ask you this question. Have you ever heard a pastor doubt the genuineness of Zacchaeus' conversion? Yes or no? Why not? Why not? When God touches your heart, what else does he touch? He touches your wallet. Why did Zacchaeus, all of a sudden, the man who coveted and lived to garnish and to get and to steal more than he deserved, why was his life radically changed in one encounter with Christ? Because he saw the preciousness of Christ. He saw the treasure that was available in Jesus, a life that was free from the guilt and harassment that he lived with. He turned his life over to Christ. And when he did, what happened? Everything in his life became available. What he lived for no longer became precious to him. Why? Because something more precious had come. He started to give his resources as a means of saying, I want to know you, and if I keep all this, I will be distracted from you. Folks, that is a radical reorganization, a fundamental change in how Zacchaeus looked at life. Same thing happens to Paul on the road to Damascus. And for the rich young ruler, sadly, he did not make the right choice. Some of us are not willing to take the steps that are necessary. Some of us are often not willing to count the cost of what it means to follow Christ. When you understand the treasure of Jesus, your life will be radically reoriented because the call of Christ on your life demands not some of your life, but all of your life. And that's the thing I think we need to wrestle with. The call of Christ upon your life demands a a level of commitment that will capture the eye of your audience in your sphere of influence. People will see that you are no longer what you used to be. That you are in some way fundamentally different in your life. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. Now, let me ask this question to lead us into our last point. The question is this. Do you feel sorry for the man in the parable? Do you in any way feel sorry for him? Say, what do you mean? Okay? What's the text tells you tell you? What does the text tell you that happens to this man? What does he have to do in order to get what he wants? What's he have to do? He's got to sell everything. He has to trash and liquidate his entire life. 
But the question is facetious, isn't it? You've never read the text and said, oh, I feel sorry for him. This is the man that had to sell everything he had. He had to give up every last possession of his. Why don't you feel sorry for him? Because what he's going to get in exchange for his sacrifice will cause him to never remember the sacrifice. Notice what the text says. And this is what is fascinating about this. It says, when a man found this treasure hidden, he hid it again. And then in his what? In his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. Could you understand the connection here? This man is going and getting ready to trash his entire life to get this thing that's compared to the kingdom of God. And as he goes, he's not thinking, my precious bike, my precious house, my precious kitchen table that I spent all these hours at. No, he is blind to the sacrifice. Why? Because he has in his mind already apprehended a greater joy. Isn't that awesome? In his joy, he went and sold everything he had. He trashed his entire life. And he went, and what does he do? He bought that field. And the text doesn't even have to tell us what happens next, because we know what happens next. When he buys the field, he goes and he digs up in that box. And in the material realm, he's got a great life ahead of him. You know what Jesus is saying? A lot of times as a Christian, people are going to look at your sacrifice for Christ and think it foolish. The parable or the story that came to my mind was Mark chapter 14. Mary. She brings a bottle of perfume on the eve of the crucifixion of Christ. It is worth 365 days of wages. In New Jersey, that's an equivalent to about $75,000 a year household income on average. And what was very precious was given up for the one who is most precious. Her life was radically reoriented when she understood and she got it more than any of the disciples got it. And because she got it, she was willing to give up what caused them to do it. They gasped, not because of the scent, not because there was too much perfume in the room. What did they say? And they all said it. Judas gets stuck with this. But if you read all the gospel accounts, they all said, what a waste. What a waste. Everybody watching this man sell all his possessions. What is he doing? He's trashing his life. What a waste. Why did Mary do it? Because her love for Christ, her apprehension of the benefit and preciousness of knowing Christ caused everything in her life to change. Now folks, I know that that truth is shocking to us. I know that most of us sit and think, okay, in what way will that truth be worked out in my life? How will I so love Christ that my life is fundamentally reorganized, changed, the use of my time, the use of my resources, so that I may know Him and serve Him and pursue His will and His kingdom, His will, His design, His purposes in my life. I know it stretches us because we start looking for practical answers to the question. The third thought that emerges, I think, is this. An answer to the question, should we feel sorry for Him? No. Why? Because the discovery 
and pursuit of true treasure always promotes lasting joy. The discovery and pursuit of true treasure will promote a joy that will last a lifetime, yes, even on into eternity. What this man does is not done out of duty. It is done out of a desire to, to gain that treasure. He doesn't have to sell everything. He wants to sell everything. I'm sure, Jason, when you bought a ring for Kay, okay, you spent whatever money you spent, whatever you college students have, all right, which isn't often a lot, you spent it, and I guarantee you that you didn't do it because, oh, I have to do this. Guarantee you didn't do it that way. I know you a little bit. I think I'm fairly certain you did not do it because oh, you got to do it. Okay, because if you did, take it back. Okay? You did it because you knew the joy it would bring to her. And from her text or from her cell phone, I think texts were going out spontaneously. She wasn't even typing in. They just went out. I got engaged. I got engaged. I got one of them. Okay? You knew that would be her response. So you trashed yourself financially to bring a smile to her face and to demonstrate to her that you love her. Folks, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. If I apprehend the preciousness of Jesus, if I understand how infinite His worth is as we sung this morning, that apprehension, that understanding will begin to reorient and affect my life. If your life is not affected by your love for Christ, then you don't love Christ like you should. Okay? And I just state it that simply. If your love for Christ does not in some way capture the attention of the world that rubs shoulders with you on a daily basis, if they're never asking what's different about you, you need to examine your love for Christ. And say, am I cultivating a passion for him that is like the passion of this man who gave up everything in order to have this treasure? Because I think what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, don't feel bad for this man who had to sell everything to get this. I think Jesus is saying, envy that man. Envy the person who has finally come to a place in their life where they understand how incredibly rich it is to have a life fully devoted to Christ. Envy that person. And if you don't know Christ, emulate that person in your life. Fly to and flee to the cross and find hope of life and heart change forever. Why should we envy him? Because his short-term sacrifices led to long-term rewards. And it reminds me of the words of Jim Elliot that you all probably know. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he can never lose. Matthew 6, verse 19. And I just turn back there with me real quick. I'll just read this passage to you. Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But do store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Now, what is that saying? That text is saying, pursue riches. But don't pursue temporal riches. Use your temporary things, Luke says, to lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust will not corrupt 
And Peter will later say, it is kept in heaven for you. It's not that Jesus is against investment. It's not that he's against pursuing riches. He's not saying don't pursue them because they are bad. He's saying don't pursue them because they won't last. And what this man found is that everything else in his life could be set aside because he found the ultimate treasure. The man looking for pearls found the ultimate pearl. And when he found it, he gave up everything else in order to have that one treasure of great price. And in the Christian community, when Jesus says to us, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, he is all about investing. But he is all about investments that don't have a shelf life. He's all about things that don't expire in terms of their value. So that when we get to the end of our life, we can say before God, I pursued that which has eternal and lasting consequence. And if that is the case in your life, you will not face your death with disappointment. You will not move into your retirement years with regret. You will move there with joy because you have a purpose and you have a hope. You are looking forward to the reward. May God give us such eyes like this man had that when he saw the box, he realized that it was more valuable than everything he had. So he got rid of everything he had so he could have this. May we so apprehend the preciousness of Christ that it breaks the grip of materialism in our lives and sets us free to be people that are in absolute, fundamental, just devoted pursuit of Jesus in the most amazing way in our lives. I think the Apostle Paul captures the story in this parable so succinctly in Philippians 3. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to what? The surpassing or the better greatness of the value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything and I consider them rubbish so that I may have Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, the righteousness that comes from God, and is simply and pleasantly by faith. Paul writes that in prison towards the end of his Christian experience. He is still lit with an understanding that he has something in terms of its value that will never go out of style. Something that will never expire something that is beyond words in terms of its preciousness ron wayne the third partner of apple computer missed his chance to become a billionaire today he is 76 years old has he prepared for the future is he truly rich my answer this morning is this i don't know i don't know I do know this. I know that Steve Jobs is one of the wealthiest men on planet Earth. If he knows Christ. And if he doesn't, his life is one of the saddest stories that you will ever read. Because all that he has is temporary. Everything that Ron Wayne missed is temporary. Everything that you have in Christ is eternal. If you know the Son of God, you are truly blessed.
you are truly rich. Are you ready for eternity? Are you this morning fully surrendered to the call of Christ on your life? I mean, radically surrendered like this man was in this parable. That will require daily maintenance, daily time on your knees before God. It will require the abandoning of anything that will stand in the way of wholehearted allegiance to Christ and to His rule and His kingdom in your life. Has your love for Christ, please ask yourself this question, has your love for Christ recently reoriented the structure and habits of your life? Has your apprehension of Him as the greatest treasure killed any sin or any plan from the evil one in your life recently? Because for this man, everything changed. And if and when you value Christ above all things, all of your faulty, God-belittling plans will be destroyed. He will do damage to them when you love Him. He will cause you to see the error of your and my way. What is God impressing upon you lately? What habit, by seeing the preciousness of Christ, does He want to destroy so that you can find full satisfaction in Him? What costly act of obedience, what reorientation is He calling for in your life? What plan, what act of rebellion does He want you to demolish so you can pursue His kingdom and obey Him fully and freely? Because there is no Christ following without cost counting, without sacrifice, without a radical reorganization of your life. Folks, our salvation in Christ is free. The Christian life will cost you a lot. Your salvation is free. It is by grace. But I wouldn't want to hide this fact from you. It is going to cost you, if you choose to follow fully, it's going to cost you everything. Everything. And this morning, I, just, I want to challenge you from my heart. Ask God to knock you out of the rut that you're in. Ask God through your relationship with your resources to challenge you to change. To love Christ so much that your relationship to your resources is fundamentally changed. That your relationship to your spouse is fundamentally changed. So that your relationship to your kids is fundamentally changed. Because you know what? Christ is so deeply affecting your heart and your life. May God help us to apprehend in our minds with the eyes of the Spirit the utter preciousness of Christ. And may He, Hebrews 13, keep our lives free from the love of money so that we can be content with what we have because He has said, I will never leave you. Folks, one day my bank account's going to leave me. One day my bike's going to leave me. One day my car's going to leave me, my house. But He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, keep yourselves free from the love of temporary, God-belittling things in your life. Exalt Him by loving Him. Just like Jason gave a ring to say to Kay, I love you and I want to honor you with this. Say to Christ, I give you my life, all of it, every decision I have to make. I put to death every sinful decision. I embrace your will and purposes and plan for my marriage, for my job, for my kids, for my relationship in my community, for my relationship to this church. I want your kingdom. 
and just say to him, Lord, I surrender, whatever it means. I give it up to you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning.